too. Hey, uh, let's get started this morning. Hey, how many of you are part of Community Church when they used to do the 20-minute break, coffee break? Anybody? I think we should bring that back next week, right? Yeah? It's like in the middle of the service, like right when the message got too intense. Let's take a break. Let's have coffee. Uh, we may, maybe we'll do that next week. Hey, welcome this morning. Uh, it's good to be together. We're starting a new series. And I wanted to give you some context on, on where this series came from. If you remember a few weeks ago, uh, actually probably more than like six weeks ago, I had shared with you a little bit of my study break. And one of those was in the mountains in Colorado. And uh, in just kind of in, in my reading and where God was kind of taking me, one of the, the discoveries was, uh, for me, is how much I try to control my spiritual journey. Uh, how much I try to control how much I'm growing and how much responsibility I took on, not just for my own spiritual life, but your lives, our church, our family. And the word that kept coming up for me is I kept reading, and I want to share with you today, uh, was that God wants me to resign. Not from church, by the way. Everybody's looking up what he's... Uh, resign from trying to be in control. I don't know, I know I may be alone here because I'm the only controlling person, I'm sure, in the room, right? Um, I mean, many of us, I think, are trying to work through uh, to answer this question, how do I grow and the responsibility that I feel to grow? Now, in our church, again, every year we do a series like this that helps you kind of understand why we do what we do around here. And it's not just arbitrary. It's, there, there's some things that we think through. And in our logo, um, there is you know, three different circles. You'll see those kind of represented with these arrows. Um, the first one is the arrow pointing up. Our desire here is that every person knows Jesus. The way to have a connection with God is through Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one has a connection to the Father except through me. We know here at Community Church, our priority is to share that hope with people uh, and do the best we can with that. Now, I'm going to share, and I'm going to unpack that a little bit in a minute, what that means. Our second one is belonging to the body. I'm going to talk about that next week. We want to, everything we do around here that is, is trying to encourage you to make a connection with God. We can't do that for you, but also we want to uh, encourage you to recognize that you've been designed and created for community. Not specifically just our community, but you have been designed to have deep relationships with other people. And many Christians have bought a lie that they don't need other people, that they could just have a relationship with God and isolate themselves. And you rob yourself, you're going to find out, from so much growth in being a part of the community. And this, doesn't, this is not like a ploy for the church to get you do, to do more or be involved in things. It really is. We miss out when we don't have that. And so we teach not only a connection with God, but to belong to the body. And then last but not least is when Jesus has invaded your life, when you're beginning to see your part played in the, in the body of Christ and you're having deep relationship. You can't help but want to extend yourself and be the light, that hope, to other people. Another way to say that is the gospel. Often people confuse, uh, you know, what is the gospel? Is it the Bible? Well, 
the, the gospel technically is Jesus. The whole story of the Bible is about one figure, and that is the, the person of Jesus and how he restores our relationship with God. That would be the gospel. So we long to share that gospel in connection to, to connect with God. We long that you belong to a church, that men and women are beginning to belong to this gospel together and to talk about what that means in their lives. But thirdly, we want to be the gospel. And that means putting us into places maybe that normal Christians you know, in our world would say you don't go. I wonder where Jesus would be this morning. Probably would not be here this morning. It'd probably be on the streets. It'd probably be in places where we would never think that Jesus would want to enter. And we're called to be that light. So our, our vision statement for our church, many of you have seen that on the website or on the app, but just to review it for some of you, we desire to share the hope of Jesus Christ with all people in Green Bay, in the Green Bay area, and walk with them as they become a member of the spiritual family. We want to share Jesus. We want to make sure that whatever spaces that we're creating here on Sunday morning or Monday through Saturday, there are spaces that are going to help you connect with God, belong to the body, and go and serve others. That's it. The, the trick is, or the, the, the struggle that we have, is we all kind of have our own ideas about how we're supposed to do it or how we're supposed to grow. And our best efforts really can go... Uh, really unproductive or unfruitful if we think we're in charge of your spiritual journey. It really rests on some decisions you have to make. This passage says it well. I'll mess with your eyes here for a minute. I'll do that a couple times. There you go. Um, for this reason, Paul's saying this to the church in, in Colossae. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. I want to just remind you that you have an elder body. Uh, a staff. Sometimes they're called deacons. Uh, you have volunteers that are praying for you, that, that pray for you, that think about you often. It's not the programs, it's people, and, and you are what are on our hearts. So as we continue to ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through the, all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. You know what we recognize? That knowledge doesn't mean that you get it. We recognize that you can know a lot of things about God and be very religious, but have a big miss in that transformative process where God helps you understand and live differently. So we know the Holy Spirit. That's an internal teaching. That's something that, that only that God can do for you and with you. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so you may have great endurance and patience and giving joy, joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. I mean, this, this is our hope here at Community Church. And so the reason we do this series every year is we have a lot of people that haven't heard it and it's written on the website and the app. And, but really, it's, it's for you to hear again from, from our hearts is that the, the, the spiritual growth that you're going to embark on is not our responsibility. As much as I'd like to control and help you, uh, we talk, Trish and I talk about our daughters often. We're on the phone all the time with them. We can't make them make spiritual choices. We can only provide spaces that we long to have 
the Holy Spirit invading and convicting their own lives to make choices for themselves. And so this, this morning I want to identify, so what's the problem? Why is this so difficult? Why aren't churches just packed? Right? Why, why, isn't church, why aren't churches just packed on Sunday morning with this great good news and this hope? Let me reveal a struggle that every one of us have been created by God. If you believe in this God that we talk about created the heavens and the earth, every cell, every atom, every, every living thing, everything on this planet in the universe has been created by God. And you look to the creation order, you know that he's created us in his image. But as you read Genesis chapter 3, you know that we made a rebellious choice to move away from God's authority, to say we can do it on our own, and then we entered into sin, and sin flawed us. Let me, let me show you how and why the struggle of trying to grow spiritually becomes such a challenge. One, God created us as personal beings who long for relationship and impact. Did you know that about yourself? As much as you, you'd like to think that you're independent, you have a need and a longing to be connected with people and to have impact in this world. Now, the impact might be small, it's just in different degrees, but you have this longing built into you. After the garden, we were satisfied in the garden, but after the garden, we became empty. And we struggle with a sense of not feeling fulfilled in maybe these two areas, in our personal life. Many people find themselves just struggling. I don't feel like I matter. I don't feel like I make a difference. We're rational beings. We're also, though, God created us to think and have beliefs. And in the garden, we were accurate, but outside of the garden, that became darkened. Now, friends, I'd like to say that the church is immune to that, but here's where some of church abuse can happen. We, we start to begin to create our own way of what we think is right, and we become very knowledgeable about the Bible, about God's special revelation. You know, it's not his only revelation, right? Right? You know, he, he talks about revealing himself through others, through people. He talks about revealing himself through all of creation, through his Holy Spirit. There, there are other means of general revelation, but we know that his special revelation tells us not a rule book or a textbook or a history book, but the story of God, who he is, who we are, and this world we live in. Because of that, many people are darkened in their interpretation and understanding of that. And we all struggle to interpret this book in a correct and accurate way. But we struggle because we don't have clarity in how we think and believe. And so I would like to say that churches are immune to this. But the reality is you think it's so difficult for the church to be together. I mean, think about it. On Sundays around our country, it's easier to wear a colored jersey of a team and you don't have no idea how those people vote, what they believe, even the horrible immorality they may be involved in, but on Sunday, they're family, right? Am I right? They're family, they're, they're, they're a fan. And it's amazing on Sundays that we can gather and yet we wear this jersey called Jesus, but we can fight, we can bicker, we can be divisive, we can gossip. It's amazing. It's sad, and I think this morning, I just want you to know the struggle about spiritual growth and church growth is not easy because of this str struggle of being personal beings that we've, we've lost 
the sense of satisfaction there. We've, we've been darkened in our understanding. Thirdly, we're volitional beings. We make choices. Some of those aren't necessarily right and wrong choices, but they say we make about 30,000 choices every day as adults. You make choices, and sometimes those are a right and wrong choice. And so we have, in, inside the garden, we were righteous. We made right choices. But friends, let's be honest. Many of the choices you might make in a week are manipulative ones. To get something to work out the way you want it to. To make something work for you. We all do it. And I think for us this morning, if if we're going to begin to unlearn some of the patterns that you've picked up about religious behavior, you're going to have to recognize that God created all of us this way and we're all broken. Fourthly, we're emotional beings. That's right, guys, I just said we're emotional beings. And so don't, don't buy the lie that someone says, especially dudes will say this, I don't, I don't feel anything, I don't have feelings. Then you're not human. We've learned ways to suppress or not express those feelings. And so we feel great different levels of emotion. Those were constructive inside the garden. Outside of it, they become, they become disturbing, deconstructive. I mean, just for an example, how many of you, I have felt it, have felt distant from God? You feel very distant from God. You feel like he's not close to you. Anybody with me? Anybody feel that? No, I'm the only, okay. And we know that's not true. It's, it's a deconstructive emotion. You start to feel this, and then often in our world, we, we make choices about how we feel or don't feel. That can be very destructive in a spiritual journey. So you look at these. These are how God's wired us. If we can recognize this morning that we're all broken, we at least take the first step. We're all broken. We're all flawed. We don't have clarity. So how do we do this then? How do we, how do we grow? Proverbs 14.12 says, Before every person lies a road that seems to be right, but at the end of this road is death and destruction. Not a really hopeful, promising Sunday morning verse, I mean, my, my purpose this morning is to first let you know, if we can just at least this morning recognize that we're broken and flawed, that how we feel, how we think, how we try to personally relate, the choices we make ha- have sin involved in them, no matter how right we seem to think we are. Boy, I think we can at least begin to take a journey together on answering the question about how we grow. We first, though, got to unlearn our way. Now, I could talk to you probably for an hour, but it would not probably do as much as I think the five and a half minute video I'm going to show you that I cut down. Um, How many people uh, look at the website Smarter Every Day? There's only like four of us that are trying to get smarter every day. Um, Danny was one of them, right, Danny? So there's, there's uh, Scott had showed us this video and, or just had recommended to me and I watched it, it was brilliant. And it's, it's about a, uh, this guy Smarter Every Day has a website, he does a lot of crazy stuff, kind of like a science guy. He has a bike that was made for him that goes the opposite. If you turn it one way, the wheel goes the other way. And it's so difficult, his process of trying to unlearn how to ride his bike. And then he goes reverse and tries to ride a normal bike and has to unlearn riding the wrong bike to go the other way. 
I want you to listen to this, and I want you to frame it this way. I, I don't rarely do this with a video, but I want to set you up. I want you to think about how have you learned some habits and some strategies that aren't really helping you? How, how many of you, when you think about spiritual growth, feel like you haven't grown much at all? Or it's, it's guilt, it's shame? And I want you to watch this video because there's something interesting that we mistake about knowing about something versus understanding. So take a listen to this and, and we'll talk when we're done. Hey, it's me, Destin. Welcome back to Smarter Every Day. You've heard people say it's just like riding a bike, meaning it's really easy and you can't forget how to do it, right? But I did something. I did something that damaged my mind. It happened on the streets of Amsterdam, and, and I got really scared, honestly. I, I can't ride a bike like you can anymore. Before I show you the video of what happened, I, I need to tell you the backstory. Like many six-year-olds with a MacGyver mullet, I learned how to ride a bike when I was really young. I had learned a life skill, and I was really proud of it. Everything changed, though, when my friend Barney called me 25 years later. Where I work, the welders are geniuses, and they like to play jokes on the engineers. He had a challenge for me. He had built a special bicycle and he wanted me to try to ride it. He had only changed one thing. When you turn the handlebar to the left, the wheel goes to the right. When you turn it to the right, the wheel goes to the left. I thought this would be easy, so I hopped on the bike ready to demonstrate how quickly I could conquer this. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Justin Salem. First attempt riding the bicycle. I couldn't do it. You can see that I'm laughing, but I'm actually really frustrated. In this moment, I had a really deep revelation. My thinking was in a rut. This bike revealed a very deep truth to me. I had the knowledge of how to operate the bike, but I did not have the understanding. Therefore, knowledge is not understanding. Look, I know what you're probably thinking. Destin's probably just an uncoordinated engineer and can't do it. But that's not the case at all. The algorithm that's associated with riding a bike in your brain is just that complicated. Think about it. Downwards force on the pedals, leaning your whole body, pulling and pushing the handlebars, gyroscopic procession in the wheels. Every single force is part of this algorithm. And if you change any one part, it affects the entire control system. I do not make definitive statements that often. But I'm telling you right now, you cannot ride this bicycle. You might think you can, but you can't. I know this because I'm often asked to speak at universities and conferences and I take the bike with me. It's always the same. People think they're going to try some trick or they're just going to power through it. It doesn't work. Your brain cannot handle this. For instance, this guy. I offered him $200 just to ride this bike 10 feet across the stage. Everybody thought he could do it. No, 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 no. No, you didn't understand. You didn't understand. So, this way. It was a personal challenge. I stayed out here in this driveway and I practiced about five minutes every day. My neighbors made fun of me. I had many wrecks, but after eight months, this happened. One day I couldn't ride the bike and the next day I could. It was like I could feel some kind of pathway in my brain that was now unlocked. It was really weird though. It's like there's this trail in my brain, but if I wasn't paying close enough attention to it, my brain would easily lose that neural path and jump back onto the old road it was more familiar with. 
Any small distractions at all, like a cell phone ringing in my pocket, would instantly throw my brain back to the old control algorithm and I would wreck. But at least I could ride it. Alright, today's bike log. I can ride smooth, I can ride fast. I'm thinking the experiment is over. Okay, now I'm in Amsterdam, a city that has more bicycles than people. The question is, can I ride a normal bike now? I mean, I've spent all this time unlearning how to ride a bike. If I go back and try to ride a normal one, will my brain mess up? So I've tweeted a Smarter Everyday Meetup, if you will, and I'm going to see if somebody brings a bicycle and I'm going to try to ride a normal bike. It's backwards, it's backwards. This was one of the most frustrating moments of my life. I had ridden a normal bike since I was six, but in this moment, I couldn't do it anymore. I had set out to prove that I could free my brain from a cognitive bias. But at this point, I'm pretty sure that all I've proved is that I can only redesignate that bias. So what you're not seeing is just a group of people here looking at me, looking at the strange American that can't ride a bike because they think I'm dumb. But I'm actually two levels deep into this because I've learned and unlearned. All right. After 20 minutes of making a fool out of myself, suddenly my brain clicked back into the old algorithm. I can't explain it, but it happened in a very specific moment. <laughs> I got it, I got it, I got it. I'm back. Oh, it clicked. Hold it, it clicked. I got it, I got it. Okay, there it is. There was the moment. Okay, I can run a bike. I tried to explain this to the people around me, and they just didn't get it. They thought I was faking the previous 20 minutes, and I couldn't get anybody to believe me. That looked like I faked that, didn't it? Yeah. Just a fake. You think I'm faking? You don't move. You think I'm lying, don't you? I'm not lying. I felt like the only person on the planet who had ever unlearned how to ride a bike, and I couldn't articulate it to anyone because everybody just knew that you can't forget how to ride a bike. So I learned three things from this experiment. I learned that welders are often smarter than engineers. I learned that knowledge does not equal understanding. And I learned that truth is truth, no matter what I think about it. So be very careful how you interpret things, because you're looking at the world with a bias, whether you think you are or not. I'm Destin. You get smarter every day. Have a good one. Did you like that? Yeah. Couple, couple phrases in there I want to pick, pick up on. You have a deeply rooted understanding of what it means to be spiritually mature. You, you have something ingrained in you from how you grew up, however your church or religious experience was, that has shaped you into now. And I, I want to talk to, to many of us in the room that have to unlearn a way that you thought was right a way that you felt like I'm supposed to do this. I see many Christians today operate with this sense of this point system, this way that they think they have to earn God's favor. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you this passage in Galatians where Paul refutes that and says it's not about points. It's like the man that goes to heaven and again at the pearly gates, Peter says it's a point system. Um, we're going to collect all the things you've done in your life and you have to get 100 points to be let in. He says, well, I, I went to church every week. He goes, good, three points. Um, he says, well, I, I gave, you know, at church. He goes, good, that's two points. I mean, he goes through a list of things, and he's only got about 20 points, and he's pretty much exhausted everything. He goes, well, listen, I was married to my wife 50 years faithfully. He said three points. And he says, oh, my gosh, at this rate, this is only by God's grace that I'll get in. And Peter says, you're in. 
I think some of us have to break this, this learned way that really removes Jesus from the cross. Because we switched from doing it on our own, Old Testament, at least tempting to, to knowing that it's only by His grace and through Christ alone. So how do we grow then? And how do we make a connection with God? Two specifics is, is really going to be related to this is that I'm going to ask you to think about resigning from control this morning. You're not in charge. If, if simply put, um, in, in this situation, as Paul's going to talk about, you need to make a decision that allows you to move from the driver's seat to the passenger seat. That you make an actual switch. You say, all right, God, not I'm going to let you ride shotgun, but I want you to take charge of my life. Now, Paul's going to say this in this famous passage in Galatians chapter 2. Now, the whole letter is written to a church. Not like you think of church like this, but all in that Macedonian region, it was many churches, many house churches that were existing. Why is he writing to them? He's disturbed because he'll talk about it in Galatians. He'll say, you have forgotten the gospel. What's he saying? He's not saying you forgot certain verses in the Bible. He says you forgot that it was Jesus. The reason he's saying this is because there's another group that moves in right after this church launches. And it's called the Judaizers. Their idea was... Well, Old Testament was about being Jewish, being circumcised, and then following the law. And so what they would say is, yes, it's accepting Christ as Lord and Savior, but you also still need to be circumcised so you're Jewish and you should follow the law. You see what they're doing here. They're, they're removing the weight, the whole reason why Jesus dies. Paul is, is, is at wit's end and writes in this letter, if you read the book of Galatians, You'll read him saying, I can't believe you forgot so soon. And, and he's going to address legalism. He's going to address this idea that people have this knowledge and they're trying to earn. And Paul's going to go back to, you have to unlearn this old way. So I'm using a paraphrase Bible. Um, we don't really use this as a, a, like a study Bible, but the message Eugene Peterson writes this, I think, in a way that helps us understand that. Because if you read NIV or ESV, it's very heavy about justification in the law. And so I, th I think we'll read this one. It's a little bit easier to understand. Uh, have some of you noticed that we're not yet perfect, Paul says? No great surprise, right? And are you ready to make the accusation that since people like me who go through Christ in order to get things right with God aren't perfectly virtuous... Christ must therefore be an accessory to sin. You know what he's saying? Some of you think that because you became a Christ follower, you accepted the sacrifice, and you're still sinning. Uh-oh, I must not be doing something right. i got to add something. I'm not doing all the right things. Paul's addressing this saying, stop it. He, he says, the accusation is frivolous. If I was trying to be good, I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. I would be acting as a charlatan. Paul's, Paul's giving us some picture and understanding saying, listen, when we start to operate that way, then we're saying that the whole reason Jesus died is a sham. It's a fake. It wasn't needed. He continues, 
What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. How many of us can relate to that line? I don't know about you, but friends, I've spent a lot of my life trying to earn God's approval. Remember when I talked about not feeling like a good son? It's like me trying to impress God with my disciplines. Being older brother. So so I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I've been crucified with Christ. This is that famous text. It is no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. It says, my ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. I am no longer driven to impress God. Wow. Now you know why I wanted to read Eugene Peterson's. Because I think we're a lot of us are stuck thinking that that is what God intends. And so somewhere in heaven, He's measuring how much you're giving, how much you're reading a Bible, how much are you praying, as if you are in charge. I want to reframe those this morning. I want to help you relearn how, how to rethink the spiritual journey. He finishes up and says, Christ lives in me. The life you see me living out is not mine but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not going back on that. It is not, isn't it not clear to you that to go back to an old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? Friends, I don't want to go back to that. And I know in Green Bay we struggle to unlearn this religious bike we've ridden of getting it all right, having all the right answers, doing the right things, voting right, right? everything. And so then we have churches. It's no wonder, again, people don't want to go to church. I said it before. Because who wants to go to a culture that's going to be measuring everybody whether they're right or wrong? You see, when we wear the jersey of Christ, we can agree on that. The, The truth is, in this room, none of us are going to agree on how we think and believe. None of us are going to be the same in how we feel, on how we relate relationships and our impact in life. But what we can agree on, and Paul will say it throughout many of his letters in the New Testament, it's Christ alone. Because of that, I'll weather through our differences. Because of that, I'll work through that. Because of that, I'm going to dialogue with you, even if we disagree. He says, I refuse to do that. To repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. Friends, the moment we attach anything else than other than Jesus for salvation, you're in a rule keeping religious way that you're trying to ride out your spiritual journey that's going to leave you empty, darkened, frustrated confused this morning you have to resign control and two things i'm going to give you for resigning control is is first this in, in our connection with god what does that look like it first means you decide to to believe in jesus alone again it's giving him the driver's seat it means you move over you hand over that and so the scripture says that re- to, yet to all who did receive him to those who believed in his name you believe in the life death and blood of jesus christ 
and the resurrection of Christ. That is what it is. And from there, then you get to decide to choose to be in obedience to, to be baptized. And what is baptism? Baptism is like me rolling down the passenger window and shouting, guess who's driving? I mean, that's what baptism is. Baptism is, hey, everybody, guess who's driving? Jesus is driving my life. I'm not. That's a beautiful expression of that. Those are two decisions that you make. Once that happens, though, the Scripture says, the Holy Spirit invades your life. Jesus says, I'm going to I'm going to now invite you into a transformative relationship. I'm going to invite you into some spaces that aren't point-keeping, but they're spaces that I promise if you enter into them, they're going to change how you think, how you relate, how you feel, the choices you make. It is going to change you. Jesus says in the Scriptures, Paul says it, that we're being transformed Paul says in Romans 12, we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. If that's going to happen, we need to receive the invitation and enter into that space. What are they? Once we've decided to give our lives uh, over to Jesus to drive, once we've decided to, to express that inward change through baptism, man, and these aren't necessarily in order, we're invited in to talk to God. The creator of the universe invites you to dialogue. Do you know how many people I've talked to about, hey, will you pray? No, 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 no. I don't, I don't know how to pray. I don't know the right words. You see what you're doing. You're, you're again going back into that rule, kind of are there the right ways to do this when the Father says, I just want you to talk with me. Friends, praying is an invitation to talk with the Father. I met with someone this last week who, who didn't have good words for our Father. And I, was, I appreciated her honesty. And I said, you know God can handle your anger. He did with Job. He did with Elijah. He did with the whole book of Lamentations. He did with David. There are many men and women throughout Scripture that felt frustrated and lost. And God, where are you? Have you forgotten me? Have you forsaken me? The Father, the Creator in heaven says, will you just enter into this space? Now friends, when you start to pray, I know when I pray, you know what it does? There's a, there's a, a heart and mind and a whole shift in my soul. It's like you said, there is a click. When you started to write, the click is, I'm acknowledging that there's a God in heaven. I'm acknowledging one that I worship and honor and love and pursue. Doesn't mean I fully know all about him or all the answers, but that prayer interaction. And friends, I'd encourage you to do that alone. Go walk and talk to the Father. But then you start to do that together. And there's a spiritual transaction that begins to happen that God starts to transform your heart, your mind, and your soul. Another one is reading. We begin to then read and we read this book not because we want to know all the answers about God. Because friends, can I just eliminate that from your goal? Because you won't. I study this more than most of you ever will. And that's not an arrogant statement. It's just true. I am more confused. I find how much I don't know about this amazing God. And so we're called to read this book. But here's what I hear. I hear, you know, I read it and I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. I hear a lot of people say that. Can I challenge you about how you approach it? 
I remember this group of hunters I talked to, and they were saying, yeah, I don't read the Bible, it's too hard to understand. And on the, you know, on the coffee table were all these hunting magazines, outdoor, how to get the biggest buck on the planet, you know, how, how to do this, how to do that. I said, do you read these? I mean, they're 20-page articles. Oh, yeah, I do, they would say. When, you, when your heart's engaged to know something, to, to, to be connected to it, to find, it's not just about getting the knowledge, it's about you long to begin to express that in your life. You read the Word the differently. The Holy Spirit begins to be involved in the teaching of the Word. Friends, you could read the Word void of the Holy Spirit and know nothing really truly about God. He could teach you nothing. You can know facts, but you miss it. There are many people that are actually atheists that know probably more than many of you in this room about the Bible. The knowledge isn't the understanding. So you, you're invited in to pray to the Father. You're invited to, to read about the Father. Gosh, then he gives us this other space called the gathering. It says in the Hebrew, uh, in the book of Hebrews, it says, do not forsake the assembling together. There's a constant spiritual transformation that goes on when we gather and worship the Father together. When we do that together, now listen, I love live stream. It's great. I've used it. Uh, it's great, but video will not replace being together with other believers. Again, this is part of the, the struggle in this culture. Our digital culture has removed the relationship. Has, has, has we've, been, we've been somehow lured into this learning that we think it's just the information. Friends, it's the human interaction, and there's a spiritual benefit about physically gathering with believers that are worshiping God. There's, there's a benefit. There's a transformation that goes on. Last but not least, it's giving. And you're going, oh, yeah. I, I've said this before. We so misunderstand this giving concept. We think it's because the church has to get it, pastors have to be paid, staff has to be taken care of, buildings have to be taken care of. No, that doesn't have to happen. God calls us to enter into a giving space. And there is a transaction. How many of you, don't have to raise your hand, have given generously before and something changes in your heart? No longer is the, 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 this, the stress of providing for yourself and security and the fears about money and what will do. You transfer over that when you begin begin a begin become to be a, a giver, a hilarious giver, as Paul says, there's a trust. All right, Jesus, I'm doing this. You're driving. You're driving. We get to get, express this great thanks to the Father in giving. Do you see how these get mixed up, though? If you start to feel the impression that walk out of here, oh, no, he ha we have to pray more, we have to read more, we have to gather, we have to be at church, let's go, you know, we got to give, here comes the, the ushers. Um, I would imagine you're really frustrated. I, I imagine it's empty. I imagine there's no sense of the fullness and freedom of Christ in your life. Friends, this morning the question is, are you growing? Are you receiving the invitation to that? The Father in heaven wants to, in this mysterious spiritual way, grow you. You have to make decisions to give him control. 
to come to Christ, to be baptized, then you have these invitations to these spaces. It's like being invited to the outdoors of the spiritual realm and to, to be grown. And I just want to pray for us before we go into worship. Uh, just an intriguing video that I think may summarize for us before we go to the altar. But can I give us a warning before we go to that table, the communion table? Scripture says you need to have made a decision to give control over to Jesus before you go to the table. Don't use that as a point system. Next, maybe you ask yourself, am I listening to the invitation? Am I receiving the invitations to talk to a father? To know a father through reading? To gather with others who worship my father and to give thanks to my father through giving? Father, we're blessed this morning. And thank you. Help us unlearn. And thank you for being patient and grace-giving to us when we're stubborn and still try to remove Jesus from the cross through points. May we experience your beautiful growth. In Jesus' name, amen.